Hello and welcome to On the Road. I'm Christian Tayar. I'm going to start recording conversations with people that I meet while I travel. Uh, people from my life, talking with them about some of their experiences and parts of their journey. Uh, today I'm going to speak with David Northrup. I met David as Boney Beasley of the Argyle Pimps doing stand-up in Fresno at uh, Scoreboards Sports Bar. We've now been friends nearly 14 years. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to his story. Also, uh, I'm interested in your, um, like your childhood and stuff. You talk about having moved around a lot. I don't know if yeah. you want to talk about that. We don't have to. But I am interested. Yeah. And um, it's something we haven't spent a whole lot of time on. But it's up to you. I'm open to it, but it, there's like a surface tension there with like... I don't, it's not that easy to, like, command recall a lot of it, you like, know? Um, like, it'll come up and something will, like, trigger the memory or whatever, but mm -hmm. being able to recount it is actually pretty tricky. Okay. Sometimes. All right. Um, but we'll see. It's like if, it's more like when it's free association, that stuff comes up pretty easy, but when I need to, like, okay, here's what happened, it's a tricky timeline. Is that, like, something that happens with a lot of things, or just, like, this kind of specifically? I think with a lot of things with me. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's like I don't, I, like, only look forward sometimes. Well, that's kind of a good thing. I mean, might, maybe for me, yeah, it might be the only way to, to do it. I think for a lot of people, I mean, there's definitely, like, the only thing you can ever gain from your past is a lesson. Like, in, like, the grand scheme of things. Like, there's nothing you can... Even if it's a good memory, even if you had, like, the best mm -hmm. upbringing in the world, like, there's only so much you can gain from that in the present. Yeah. The only thing you can really gain from your past is a lesson. So why wouldn't you always look forward? Yeah, and traits. Right? Yeah, but that's like, developed. That's kind of like that's like a, a trait is something like that's a not... a memorized lesson. Right. Yeah, like, in your habits. But that becomes you. Like, that's, like, a part of you now. Like, traits are, like, parts of the whole... Mm -hmm. Like, to look back, to actually reach backwards and try to grab something that was there, a memory or a, or a story or anything like that, what are you really going to get out of reaching back? Yeah, I feel like the only real helpful things have been uh, failures. Like, remembering failures in a moment where, like, you're reliving it again and you're failing in the same way again. Mm -hmm. That's, like, it doesn't feel good, but it's so useful. Do you catch those mostly in the moment, like in the process of doing the same things, or do you do that and you like reach back and you're like at the first step? Because I never see it at the first step. Yeah. I always see like me like, <laughs> uh, six or seven steps in. I'm like, fuck, I've done this before. Dude, it's both, but there've been more instances of me, like, seeing it when it's useful. Like, okay. In the last few years. Like, is there an? Ex am I allowed to ask uh, an example? I'm trying example to think of, of one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one. Because um, that this is really interesting to me. I think um, one that's major <clears throat> is I have this tendency to. Uh, I have this tendency to. Like. Uh, let me think how I want to put it. That I'll just. Blow up and take off on something yeah. even if it's in a small way that isn't like a blow up where I yell at anybody or whatever like something will happen and for some reason emotionally it'll be so overblown to me that it's crossed a line 
and I'm this like strict, you cross the line, vendetta person, and I'm done. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. And I do it so much, and I've started to notice it like where it doesn't belong at all. About things, like where I just have this side of my mind that is so rigid about some like ideal about the way, what's right, and the way someone should be treated, or something like that. Is that what brings you to the to the blow up point? Is it like a, a sense of um, like you've crossed my my moral line? Like you've done something yeah. wrong, or is it a build up of like a bunch of little things, or is it like something? If it not is, even in like I don't catch it. Like I'm starting to now. I'm starting to yeah. catch like these little uh, what I guess I would call them inflexibilities that don't make sense. Yeah, like this way too hardcore about things why person. is this mean this much to me yeah like, why? <laughs> <laughs> like i'm always like winning some victory over injustice it's over crazy some, what, i'm sitting the world right by not tolerating some certain specific kind of bullshit that isn't that big a deal yeah um or is that yeah there's a line aesop rock said in a something on his last album i think the album's called uh the group's called Malibu Ken. It's him with uh, tobacco making the music. Mm. And he said, uh, treating reasonable norms like warriors to unhorse. That treating was like a line. Treating reasonable, reasonable norms like warriors to unhorse. Like, like to like, <laughs> picking battles that aren't important, basically, is what I took from that. <laughs> like, I like that. And uh, I've noticed that now. As I'm getting older, I'm catching that stuff a little earlier. I mean, it's not to say that I'm not still a fuck-up in those same ways, but... I was ignorant to it before, you know, so at least. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like the just the, the setting alone of which you've put yourself in um, is going to invite a lot of self-reflection, which is probably positive. You're, well, I mean, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but I would like to ask, uh, where you're firstly where you're from what you consider where you're from like when you think of that sentence yeah because it means different things to different people where they're from isn't always where they were born or even where they grew up mm -hmm. so. for me it's tricky but I'd say it's two places mainly which is Lake Havasu, Arizona okay where I had a lot of my first memories and my first life with some family and then Fresno and with tons of places in between. But those two places, like, for some reason they still feel like home to me. Like, maybe it, like in Fresno I know why. It's mm -hmm. because that's where, <clears throat> it's because that's where I started working, where I made kind of an identity with people for the first time. And uh, people know me there. It feels like I'm from there when I go there. Havasu's not like that, though. Like, I haven't been back there very many times. When I go there, I don't know anybody anymore. It's been a million years. But that's where I was, like, a little boy. Uh, before I knew that I didn't have parents, before I knew that I would never meet my dad, I lived with my grandma in a little trailer, and she was my grandma. And, you know, as far as I knew, she was my mom. Mm -hmm. And there's this time there where that'll always be, like, my home. How long were you there? Um, my very first memories were there. And then I think I lived there until I was six years old. And then... Uh, my mother got out of prison and Nana put me on a plane by myself to Indianapolis and then I ended up that it started a whole kind of crazy part of my life but uh, up until then I think psychologically I kind of felt 
whatever a kid, a normal kid feels as far as being loved and taken care of and stuff like that. Um, and then after that, it was crazy. But then there was a short period of time where I lived there again. Um, I, my mom had been living in Kingman, Arizona with this kind of crazy guy named Doug who was like, he was almost like a Manson-y cult leader, AA church guy. He was like this crazy dude, and she ended up marrying him. But then she was taking off to Missouri, and uh, on the day that she was going to leave, I had already planned to hide and not go with her. And so I actually ran away, and she ended up moving without me. Were you living with your grandma still at this time? No, this was when I was living with my mom. And this oh, so guy. you did end up going over? Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, and then when she left from Missouri, I hid and stayed with this guy for a while. And then my Aunt Teresa found out this was happening, and she, like, tracked me down. And I went and lived in Havasu again for a little while with her. And this is all in... That was, like, fourth grade age. Still in the single digits. Fourth fi- fourth, and uh, then fifth grade, I, I lived in a military school. Auntie, I was with her for a while, and then she got uh, my grandfather on my mom's side to pay to send me to military school. Which I didn't, I don't think I made it the whole year there, but I lived there for a while too. It was a military school in Anaheim for fifth grade. So you're all over before you even hit. Dude. Get out of grammar school. The snow, the, the fake snow and the snow globe is still settling. Right. Yeah, like. Uh, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So when did you make your way to Fresno? I had. I was in a living in a foster home in Visalia. Okay. And I was I turned sixteen there. I'm okay. pretty sure. Pretty sure I had my sixteenth birthday there. And then I ended up actually leaving with a friend uh early. And the foster parents ended up just like not really just letting me go, but kind of collecting the checks for like another year. Gotcha. And like I took off and I just got out on my own and tried to get to work in and stuff. At 16? Um, 16 or probably around, seven, I was probably about 17 at this point. I had received a letter from my mother when I was uh, 16 and I pretty much got out of there that month. Um, because of the letter? Yeah, because like, I think Nana had gotten like, felt sympathy for my mom, like manipulated her into giving her my phone number. Or not, not phone number, my address. And uh, as soon as that happened, I bounced. And so then I went, and I, I was in this program called Hardcore in Visalia. It was for at-risk youth. It was a summer program where in the morning they would have the Army do, like, their physical training, their PT with us in the morning. And then in the afternoons they would take us to work up in, like, the mountains, like, cutting fire breaks and, like, this kind of stuff and give us I work wanna, for the summer. I don't want to step on the story. I don't want to mess with yeah. the flow, but just to get the timeline right. So you're in Visalia at 16. Mm-hmm. Did you arrive there at 16? No, no. I think I was in that home for, like, two and a half, three years. So there was and there some... were a couple foster homes in before that, too. Like, I was, I think there was, like, three, three group homes and two other foster homes. All in the valley right there? Yeah, or all yeah, the... in like Visalia, Porterville. Okay. That whole area. So this is becoming an area you're familiar with mm-hmm. by the time you're a teenager, by the time you're 16, yeah, 17. Okay. As much as you could. Yeah. Right, right. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Everywhere. I just wanted to, I was curious if you no, were just there smart. like immediately or, okay. 
It's good for me to try to keep it straight, too. Um, where was I at, though? I you was, were going uh, to a place where they were putting you to work, a oh, yeah. camp of some kind. And then, like, I met one teacher that was working there. Mm -hmm. um, she offered to for me to rent their room in, in Tulare. And so then I left Visalia because I was looking to get out of that home because mm -hmm. I had just gotten that letter. Uh, so I actually bounced and ended up living in uh, Tulare. Renting room, working three jobs, uh, working at, yeah, it was crazy. And then I moved to Hanford because a friend of mine lived there and uh, I lived in Hanford for a while. And then eventually made my way to Fresno. What brought you to Fresno? I needed work. There weren't a lot of jobs in Hanford. Was that really? It was just it opportunity. It really was, yeah. Just okay. needed to get a job somewhere. And at this point, you are on your own. You're not yeah, in the, yeah, the care had, of a family of a I foster with, program. Uh, at that point, I lived with Cory Bruce, dot com, and uh, also my buddy Neil Swift and Jordan Bentley. We had a cool house that we rented. Where'd you meet them? I uh, met them in Hanford. Okay. Yeah, they're buddies from Hanford. And uh, then I just bounced. I had to get work. And, and Fresno is where I like made a band and all that stuff. And what band? <laughs> the Argyle Pimps. Was it that long ago? Uh -huh. You were a teenager when you started the Argyle Pimps? Mm -mm. These are years. Like I was a teenager when I moved to Tulare. I didn't realize years are passing yeah, in this timeline. Like, okay. Yeah, I lived okay. there for a while and then I went to uh, So at what age Hanford. do you arrive then in Fresno? If, I want to say 22. So there's about six years of just hopping around uh -huh. in the valley and just yeah, kind of doing seven. anything. Could be seven. Was that... I wonder, like, because I can relate to just kind of seeing different places for a little bit at a time, not in the same way or manner or background, but I'm curious um, what, uh, forgive me, it's, it's like a ping pong ball, but all in the same concentrated area. Yeah. Did you like it there? Was it just convenient? Were you just leading from work to work? There were some things in between there, though, too. Like, um, as a kid, like, I ended up living in Missouri for a while, and Indianapolis is where... Oh, it so wasn't Missouri that Nana had sent me to. It was Indianapolis, Okay, actually. Um, and there's just even more moving around. Like, mm -hmm. So it, it's weird, almost like a detachment syndrome kind of thing, like... Um, even with social workers taking me to different group homes and stuff, like, I was very detached from it. Like, for some reason, I just, and I still, like, I kind of struggle with these kind of closed-off tendencies. Like, I don't really, I don't really uh, feel it. It's almost like those people back then, that, like the social workers and the different group home operators and all that, like, they didn't even seem that much like people to me. Like, it's like kind of like a... You know, it's just like, this is just what's happening to me. It was just you know? this entity that was shuffling you? Just things that would yeah. take me from place to place. And it was just a system that I was part of, you know? That's a good way to put it. And when you got out of that system, and you were still moving around, was that like a like a sense of adventure to you? Or was it I just, so. this is how I know how to do it? Dude, it was that age, right? Where you, it was the challenge of whether or not I could, you know, make it on my own and find out who I am and all that. So it was a spiritual journey as well. Yeah, it has to be, right? I mean, what do you do? You're all by yourself without a mentor, and then you, uh, there's no other way. Like, you might not know you feel that way about it at the time, mm -hmm. but looking back at it, I mean, yeah, I was, I didn't realize or feel how desperate I was for a long time, like, which is weird. It's crazy retrospective. 
Yeah. How uh, you perceive a period of your life several years later. Because mm-hmm. when you're in it, it's funny, when you're in it, it's hard to really appreciate it. And people say that, but it's like looking at something on a microscope. Like, until you zoom out, you know, you don't really know what you're looking at. Yeah. You know, if I'm in the moment, I can't possibly have the tools available to me or the perspective to understand what's happening right now. I have to take a step back. So it's funny you say that, that of course it was a journey, but you didn't know. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And a lot of it makes sense. Now, though, it's like all kinds of neuroses have, like, come home to roost now that I'm older. And I'm having to sift through them and, like, realize how much I was reacting and how much... I guess, realize how upset I am about everything. Because I didn't have time to be upset about everything back then. I just had to keep going. Mm. My hardest times emotionally uh, have been times where I get everything straightened out and don't have to struggle. I've noticed that those periods of my time are the worst. Like, emotional and mental health-wise. Like, those are the times that I've totally broken down. And almost had to destroy my life and leave it and then go have to restart it again in the same way because it's like the only pattern of existing that I understand is uh, starting from scratch again. That's a a very painfully relevant topic is like the, the, um, the need to start over uh, when you don't know how or what to fix. You know, yeah. you get to a point and there's so much wrong, and it's like, what is it, though? What do I do? What can I do? My hands are tied. If I start over, maybe I can build it again. But then it becomes a very destructive cycle, I think. Yeah. That's become a theme in my writing, too. In your writing? Yeah. Like, I've, now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to identify these things about me, and I guess about life, mm. you know, because what is life but the one that I've lived? And, uh, like, my version of Conan. Like, that script is, the old Conan is very much trapped in a pattern like that. Why did he leave the throne? Mm -hmm. Why did he leave the throne of Aquilonia and he's out, like, assisting bands of, like, mercenary armies doing what he always did because he can't be happy and at peace in the throne that he took. Or like a great white shark that dies in captivity and won't eat when they feed it, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of idea. Like, there is no next Conan. There is no next happy Conan. Right. No, there's only Conan the fucking Conqueror. Right. <laughs> and if there's not something to conquer, he's going to fucking start destroying himself. And so he could start again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um... You want to say cyclical, or I do, I want to say cyclical, but it's really, it's a tornado. <sighs> you know, it's... <laughs> Keep it's, yourself so busy... Yeah batting away shrapnel that it's going to kill you that you don't notice that you wouldn't be you would die if it wasn't happening right yeah um so then you go on this spiritual journey and then you arrive in fresno which would then become what you consider home mm-hmm. um so where have you been since then or before then that that you've been that wasn't a part of this journey like as far as like travels that were good for you or maybe part of your spiritual journey that you look back on so when i was um in 2021 something like that i was living in hanford with my buddy adrian and i had started a bible study with him and a lot of people were coming i was a devout christian at the time and uh 
kids started coming to our youth group, a lot of kids from a local church. That church ended up bringing me on as a youth pastor. And uh, I was doing that. But before that, before I got that gig, I was working as a bill collector. Adrian's sister had a job at a collection agency and got me a job there. And I had to work there a whole year before they would let me do this. But I worked there a whole year, and then they gave me access to these CD-ROMs that uh, only employees that they're keeping on have access to. And they're published every year, and they this was before the Internet was really useful. And uh, it was all the property owners in California. And so I had got the job hoping to do this. So the day that it was like I had it, I actually went on there and I skip traced everyone with my name because it's my same name on my birth certificate. My father's name is David Northrup. And I had to track down that birth certificate, but I finally did. And then I called all the numbers to find where these people are, and I found somebody, Carol Northrup, actually, um, which was my grandfather's wife. And I called, and it was crazy. I, I have told you this before. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, I talked to my grandfather for the first time I found him. And then I ended up going and meeting him in Poway, which is near San Diego. Yeah. And I... Uh, I met him, and we went to SeaWorld and hung out, and then I ended up going to Ireland with him uh, the following year, him and his sister and her husband and his wife. So it was me and these old people cruising around uh, Ireland for, I think, a couple weeks, at least a week and a half. Yeah. So I, I visited Ireland, and I had a blast, and, and I visited England as an evangelist during those years, too. I think Separate the following trip. Year. Separate trip, yeah. Took a whole group of, a whole youth group, over there and everything and that was fun what, what is the was that just because trip that they took you on or was that like a it was like a church mission trip thing. a mission trip it yeah. was okay mm -hmm. were you Catholic huh it was like a Protestant okay evangelical on the Irish trip what was the purpose of did he was he, he just had, because he was already or? going it okay. was like already in the works that he was going to do this trip with his sister but was it with a vacation or does he have family there it was or? a vacation okay yeah. Just because. Uh -huh. So you guys were just hitting the touristy sites, or yeah, totally. Was it his first time too? Um, yes, it was. That's cool. That's a really yeah. cool thing to share. Yeah, with... it was awesome. Yeah, he's a really cool, dude. Yeah, we got along great. Uh, in the end, I ended up being the only one there with him when he passed. Like I hung out with him, and he, he, uh, he died with me sitting next to him, hanging out with him. When was that? Um, terrible with years, but uh, it was a, it was a while back now. Might have been, might have been fifteen years ago, maybe maybe a little more. How long was that from when you met him? Like how I had long known him, I think for four years. Okay, something like that. But I'm bad with that. I could have those numbers wrong. But I mean, it wasn't like you went on this trip and then he was gone shortly thereafter. Like you got to have I a hung good out relationship with him. A few times when him. he found out he had cancer, I went and hung out with him for a couple of weeks, and um, yeah, we hung out. We hung out like. 10, 11 times, like in person, and we would talk on the phone sometimes. He's cool. cool man. He was a cool guy. And his wife is really cool, too. My grandpa, uh, my mom's dad, they don't really, you know, talk so much. So the relationship I had with him was very much one that we developed, which sounds like similar, you know. Um, and it's, it's kind of strange to come at somebody as an adult you know, and know that you have this inherent. It's very different because you had met him for the first time. You know, mm -hmm. I'd, he'd, he'd been in my life 
sporadically, but the relationship that we had built was long after the fact as an adult. And same thing, he called me when he was sick, you know, and, and I just, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird but very cool thing to have, um, to have a bond that you create that isn't inherent. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, grandma and grandpa are there from day one, and then they're just like, they're in the house, or they're down the street, or whatever, and you see them on the weekends, or you see them on vacations, or whatever, but to of your own volition to go out and create a relationship with somebody that does have a bond with you, whether you want or not, yeah. and you both make the conscious decision that I want them in my life, it's a real powerful thing that a lot great. of people get to experience. Yeah, I never had anything like that um, before that. Uh, and nobody had heard from my dad in for 15 years back then. Like, so I still, but I got to see pictures of my dad for the first time when I when I met them. What's that like? To be honest, like they showed me a picture of my mother and my dad holding me in a photo they took to send to to Dave and Carol. And I looked at it. I have it now. And I'm honestly like 20 years later, however long it's been, I'm still waiting to feel anything about yeah. it. I, I I don't know. It's weird. Like, I'm still waiting for how I feel about that. I don't, <laughs> like, it, I remember sitting there thinking, I should feel something here. Like, this paper should feel heavier. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a blessing. Could be. You know, like, maybe... keep me from getting uh, too, like, I guess, like, bogged down by the weight of it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's a number of things that it could be, but it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if anything... Uh, it's it's a it's a product of several choices that weren't yours to make. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you were put in a position, and now you have this photograph. Like it's it's not on you, man. Like that's that's somebody else's bad call. Yeah. Um, I did get a letter from him one time. I was living in a foster home in Visalia, and I got this letter all of a sudden from social services, and he was in prison at the time. And he wrote me this letter that I didn't ask for. How did he find you? I guess through the system, through the like, because he was in the prison system and I was in the uh, state foster care system. That somehow there was some connection made, and they oh, got a wow. hold of him. Okay. And I'm in the letter. I remember a couple things he said. Like I, I don't know why they would bother getting in touch with me just to say that you didn't want to hear from me. Because I had, I said no, I'm not interested in it. Whenever anyone would ask, you know. Um, and then he kind of, like, lectured me about <laughs> my anger. Really? Yeah, he's like, I, you know, the only thing is that anger. You're going to have to get rid of it. And it's a negative emotion in the end, even though it might seem justified. And I was 15, maybe, 16. And I remember, like, well, probably am angry, but what the fuck is going on where I get this random letter where this guy's trying to fucking father me? Yeah. You're like, and I and I was angry. And I, yeah. I mean, I, if you weren't, you should be after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, but you know. <laughs> and so I think I, I reacted rashly. I don't even have the letter. I think I just threw it away like a dick. But no, I wish I had it. I wish I had it now. You know, it'd be, it's interesting because I still haven't ever met him. Like, so that could be something that can still happen. And I'm, I think it's better now if, if I do end up meeting him. At least tell him, like, what his dad was like when he passed, you know, things like that. 
ask him for all his money, any money that he has. I want it. And, <laughs> and then tell him to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Anything he has, I want it. I probably wouldn't tell him. <laughs> but I would ask him for, for money. Would you really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Does he have money? Unless I didn't need it at the time. If, oh, if I was doing fine, but right now I'm kind of broke, so I'd be like, dude, what, what, what do you got, dude? Give me 10 Gs. I'm the opposite. I'm so, I'm just, I'm just a spiteful, I'm, I don't want anything from you people. I don't want anything. But again, it's like a very different situation. Mm-hmm. But, um. I wonder what he's like. Because I got some problems. And I don't think all of them are from, uh, the, my troubles growing up. I think some of them, I probably would have had anyway. Do you think it's interest or curiosity more that for you me? For, for you to want to be in touch with them? Do you want to see them because you want to know like the root of all these things that make you you? Mm-hmm. Or, or do you want to meet them because you're like, no, I would like to see my dad? I don't know. That one's tricky because I don't even, I definitely don't want to enough to go try. Right. I haven't done that. Right. You know? And you know what it is? There's this detachment thing that I keep coming back to that I hate about myself. It's like a sociopath or something. Like, I just don't even... It's as if reality itself, like, we're like a, like a ball made out of, like, needle-sharp, like, crochet needles. Like, and you, you, if you hold it with your whole palm, the weight is enough where they don't totally stab you. Mm-hmm. but you can never grab it and hold all the way onto it or you're going to stab yourself. That's like the way I look at reality. Like, the way, the directions to a place, the actual math on a bill, I fucking detach from it. Like, and I stay in like a fantasy world. Like, and I think I learned that, like, all by myself watching TV as a kid. And like, making myself engage in the practicals of life is really fucking hard for me. And I think... That definitely is, like, one of the main practicals of life. You know, like, total abandonment. To- you know what I mean? Like, and I don't feel it in this, like, John Rambo under the desk freak-out way very often. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel grateful for my alcoholism phase, which is weird, because it gave me access to my emotions. It was fucking destructive, mm-hmm. and I regret a lot of, like, a lot of those emotional outbursts, but I didn't even have access to them for a long time, you know, like, how I feel about my little sisters having to go in the foster care system, how I feel about not knowing them because of that, mm-hmm. like, all my anger and sadness, like, I tried to, with, my first drug of choice was religion, and I fucking went in hard, like, by the time I was 20, I was, like, a associate pastor at a huge church, and I was, like, traveling Europe, evangelizing, like, I took the drug this all the way. This was when you were in England? Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. That um, trip? And uh, so I hit, I hit religion hard. Like, I've always been a user, and I only as I got older did I realize that my first uh, druggy tendencies w- were religion. Like it was this absolute escape that like fed into. Uh, what does that entail? Traveling around and trying to were you trying to convert people or well, you... we would uh, we would set up and we would preach in a public space and talk to people about like on a soapbox or what? Like was yeah, it like... kind of with speakers and a mic. It was like a designated spot, or were you uh-huh. just okay? Yeah, it was like so it was like up. church, it's kind of a curated thing, church like, funded, and uh-huh. like okay, yeah. That's fascinating, though. It's crazy. At twenty, yeah, uh huh. And then I left the church. One like I got to a point where I started feeling like seeing through my own bullshit. 
you know. What was the change? What what? It was kind of gradual, but it was it was this slow sneaking suspicion that I'm full of shit. You or the religion? Well, I mean that that uh, my faith in it is full of shit. Okay. So you yeah, think... and that I don't really think this is true, because at first I was all in. You, you know? identified that I you were just going through creeping, the motions. This creeping suspicion that maybe I'm totally tricking myself into this because I want to believe in it. Because and you know it's designed that way. You know what do you tell a kid? How do you get somebody all this free slave labor to run your institution <laughs> and keep church going? Mm. You tell fatherless children that they have a father in heaven, and that you know, and you give them a family and a culture to belong to as long as they keep believing in this bullshit. So here's uh, just. For the sake of devil's advocate, because uh, I don't feel like taking any kind of position, uh, but would uh, would that be um, a bad thing, like, to have that? Because I look at people who are... I feel like there's some fundamentals of me yeah. that might have been a lot crazier without it. Yeah. You know, I think what would be preferable would be a loving... Uh, a loving family unit that mm-hmm. cared for me and and uh of course and also told me the truth about the world in in a fair way and you know but some structure like that cuz i really believed in it and it gave me this it gave me somewhere for my mind to constantly go yeah um where i was always working on not sinning and like how could i be a better person and struggling with you know wanting to jack off and feeling guilty about it or you know pouring through these theology books mm-hmm. it really dude world building skills all the all this literacy like i probably wouldn't have had without it too because i ended up reading so much because there was this thing i could be involved in and be successful in if i knew more like it did what martial arts does for people or sports in a way like where I, all of a sudden i got to excel and and you know i had a, a whole group of people that admired me yeah and, uh, but in the end, I really feel like it's a, more of a factory for narcissistic tendencies. And uh, the good with the bad wasn't as much as the bad. Like, so when you're a teacher, lie, there, was a, there was definitely yeah. an imbalance. Mm-hmm. Okay. When, once I realized that I didn't believe in it anymore, I left. Huh. I left and I moved to Fresno. And started the pimps. And started the pimps, yeah. Right on. And started going to college and like opening, trying to expand my mind a little more and learn things. I... Uh, I never felt like I could go into debt because I was always working this whole time. You know, like, I had bills. So, like, and I had a band and school and work. So when it came time to get loans out, I was looking at the math and it just didn't make sense to me. So I never took a loan out and never finished mm-hmm. that degree. I just, and I've, I'm still, I've never been in debt, like, since then. And it seems like it makes less and less sense now, so I'm pretty glad I, I'm pretty glad I didn't go into student debt for some degree that I wasn't sure it's I wanted. It's a killer, man. It yeah. ruins people sometimes, those student debts. I mean, now they're, they're talking so much about debt forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a whole big-ass gap of people who are like, where was that? What, like, that would have changed my life, you know, yeah. debt forgiveness. Like, some people just get fucked. It's just a roll of the dice. So you probably did make the right move. Yeah, I got to the point where the, all the financial aid I could get without going in debt, mm-hmm. like, I got to that edge, and I was like, you know learned a lot I think I gotta cut it and just this way I'm ahead I got all this knowledge and this experience and uh, I got out clean and that's the, kind of the way I looked at it almost like a bank robbery like, <laughs> like I know that I'm playing with thieves who destroy people's lives like I knew that the mm-hmm. whole time 
Like, I was like, if you buy into this college thing too much, you're going to end up just as fucked as your buddy. I had a buddy who got an engineering degree. And at the time that I was going to college, he was working at a Verizon kiosk. You know what I mean? Trying yeah. to pay off all that money, dude. And I was just like, it's just... It's scary. Yeah. You get into a little world, and it's a, the assumed argument of a world. And it's all about the degree, and, you know, I'm moving up to my doctorate program, and everybody's speaking the language of it, and it seems so cool, but I, like, it never seemed as cool to me. Mm -hmm. It could be kind of a mad upbringing, too, like a, just a natural distrust for a system, like, I was raised in government facilities. I know how full of shit people are and how the people running it don't really know what they're doing. They're all trying to do the minimal amount of work. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just knew it innately. Well, I mean, on the flip side of that, like well, everybody maybe not innately, who... but it was my experience really reinforced it. Well, it's probably like, I mean, I don't want to say good or bad, but it, it probably had a lot to do with inform how you approach that because so many people, I think, go into situations like that, specifically government buildings, and expecting, okay, I'm here, somebody can take this load off for me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, somebody knows what they're doing. This person knows what they're doing. They have a name tag. And when I'm, 22, <laughs> when I'm 22 walking into a government building, my vibe is entirely different. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that probably um, informed a lot more than just your, your approach to uh, an organized structure, but it probably did a lot of good. You know what I mean? Like, not that Maybe. distrust is good, but your ability to question what's presented to you is a good thing, which is something I don't think a lot of people do. They get spoon-fed. Especially know. in that first, like, going to college years. Yeah, because yeah. it's totally new. It's like, I've never done this before. Like, this is, like, all the things I know without the mandatory, you know what yeah. I mean, without mom the and dad The possibility of being off, like, liked by this huge imagined peer group, mm -hmm. in addition to the actual individuals you meet who are your peers, the possibility of pussy... Uh, or or dick or whatever you're into, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> without your mom and dad breathing down your neck, oh my god! Like, and then you're like, yeah, sign up here. Oh, get this loan. Oh my god, are we kidding? This is the way we. These people's frontal lobes aren't even entirely developed. We've learned, <laughs> right? Their fucking identities aren't settled in their mind. <laughs> what do they say? Twenty six, twenty eight. Sign here. Sign here. Capital One. Hey, you need a credit card. When do they <sighs> say that you're? You're like, you're done growing. Like, I can't remember the number on it, but it's it is. Late it's like 20s. early 20s or mid 20s, something like that. I think it's later than that, man. It's like, I remember reading about it and Your it blew my mind. Your prefrontal cortex, I think, is actually yeah. the correct I think you're part right. that I'm talking about, not the, just the frontal lobe. And then you meet Shelly in school? I do. Briefly, I meet Shelly in school, but we don't start dating. Right. Um, right. Uh, but that was like kind of a go back to school time where I, uh, I went back because I wanted to get some music skills to keep the band going a little longer. I was so bored with it. I should, I should clarify. Shelly, your wife. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> There's people that listen to the fuck is Shelly. Who the fuck is Shelly? Sorry. I think they would have inferred. They might have. They might have. But if I say... I would have. If I say wife, it's, yeah. it's more successful than uh, the girl I'm dating right now. Like, yeah. this is... It worked mm -hmm. out really well. It did well. work out. Uh, but yeah, tell me more about... I was, about taking, the I was taking music though, classes right? to, yeah. like chart out the hip-hop beats that producers had made for this one album because mm -hmm. I wanted to keep performing it but I was bored just rapping over the music the way it was and I was learning piano and music fundamentals at the same time and Shelly was in my piano class and she was dope but we didn't really hang out or anything we just kind of talked a little bit right and then a couple years later I ended up dating her when I worked with her cousin at the Apple store 
See, man, if you had gotten a loan, you might have gone to like a UC and left yeah. town. And I'd have been in Davis. Yeah. I love Davis. I probably would have gone to Davis if I could have. Yeah. Because I had a bunch of buddies that were going to college there, and they had a cool little apartment, and everybody was rad. Right I would have tried to squeeze in that scene. That's the fun of it, too, I think. Because um, for a lot of people, going to a college... This isn't an experience I've had, but going to a college at a, at a, a place that's not their home, you know, that's like a huge uprooting. Mm-hmm. Like, some people are in their hometown forever. You know what I mean? Like, some people don't go to school, they just live there and die, which isn't a, a good or bad thing. But uh, the concept of college, I feel like, there we talked a lot about the distrust of, like, what's being up and being kind of, like, promoted to get into this debt because it's just going to constantly feed this machine. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as how Americans specifically view education and, like, adulthood and, like, what you consider a successful mm-hmm. life, that's one thing I can get behind is is the pilgrimage to a college minus the college itself. I mm-hmm. think it's a good thing people getting out and, and seeing new things and being culturally... Um, yeah. And that's kind of going away, that idea. That's kind of old school now. Because yeah. the way they talk about college now is you need to go get a certificate. City college. And, they, and like you go to a school that promises you a job, like promises you work. Like a trade school? Yeah, a lot of that is on the rise. And also just the view of it, like get this degree specifically. What is the jobs you're going to get? Like mm-hmm. that's the way they talk about it. They don't talk about it as needing some time to become a person and learn about things. They the never have. I'm saying that's like the good thing to take yeah. out of that system. Like... Um, I think it's important for people to take that time to find out who they were, something that you got to do very young, but again, didn't realize that's what mm-hmm. that was until many right. years later, and you could look back and be like, oh, that was my finding myself time. Like, yeah. a lot of people are robbed of that, you know, like, because of the system that they're in. I'm pretty bugged out right now. I'm all about, all about to way to say it. I am stuck in a place right now where I am constantly being confronted by how angry I am. Okay. I didn't, New anger? I've, no, I've always been very angry, and I just blocked that from myself because I don't admire that. That's another thing is like I am being confronted with the reality of who I've always been, and it's frustrating to realize that I could have been so blind to certain parts of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just angry, and I'm trying to embrace it too, like not just like because I think that part of blocking it out has been like ignoring ignoring and like hating that idea so much that not admitting like I wanted to be part of being the whole religion thing was like this idea that I've overcome it and that I'm this better I you know I all this bad shit happened to me but I'm doing good you know and I'm happy but I'm pissed and like now I gotta kind of figure out how I'm gonna navigate my life with this new knowledge about myself you know like how can I channel it how can I be more happy healthy mm-hmm. yeah it's that's been a that's been a trip. That's been my journey like the last like three years. One has been just confronting that I'm pissed. I think Without a shape to it sometimes. It's just fucking angry, you know? Like an inmate, like an ex con, you know, that just PTSD, you know, I got diagnosed with that like five years ago. And they gave me some medicine for a while. I never would have thought that about myself. Like I think that's people who fucking fought in war. Right. And no, I have this like this because of the age I was when trauma happened. There's like, there's types of PTSD that can go away, and there's types that are very hard to get rid of, and a lot of times it has to do with multiple traumas and certain ages, and I kind of got stuck with a bad one 
as far as the placement of big traumas and, and stuff to where I kind of have this underlying pissed off person. It sucks. Well, it's, it's, pain is not finite either. You know, it's different for everybody. So it's hard, like, if you do have that image of PTSD is like, which I think most of us do, mm. of like somebody who's been through war or some like horrible traumatic, a victim of a horrible crime, you know. But it can happen to anybody and it can happen at any age. And you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's a shame that it took that long, yeah. you know, for someone to realize like, hey man, you... I was working at Apple and something. I had in great insurance for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to get therapy and stuff. And that's where like all kinds of diagnoses came and like, and uh, new knowledge about myself, you know. Because that, I also learned that, like, psychological diagnoses and stuff are very, very much not concrete. They all blend into each other. Uh, OCD and PTSD and what what you name things isn't what they really are. We have, like, kind of, I'd say they're vagaries. They're vagaries that kind of interconnect and you see them related a lot. And they're all totally in different proportion and measure to each other in everybody who suffers from those things. Um, because my compulsive disorders are not like what, what people think of. You know, and, and my uh, post-traumatic stress, a lot of times it just manifested itself in, in like not wanting to do anything. Wanting to stay away from life. Like, which lends to like kind of a narcissistic disorder also, where I would want to go and get love like as a comedian, and I'd go to the stand-up clubs, and I'd get all this what they call narcissistic supply mm-hmm. in, in uh, like the therapy terms where you get people admiring you and thinking you're awesome and then you close off and go hide or like and so in relationships you have this fucked up relationship with love from these habits where like you're you become this great seducing person who's so fun and so cool and then when somebody gets close to you you can randomly be hot and cold and be a fucking kind of an uh, emotionally abusive cunt and it's like it's so hard it's so uh, abusive to people that love you and that's a whole journey that I had to go through like god I don't want to be that guy yeah but like I am someone with that now I have to like figure out how to not be a cunt and just be more upfront and and, and admit you know admit my flaws warn people about my mistakes don't give in to this need to like win everyone over that I feel this compulsion cuz it's part of it's like full of shit yeah you know? yeah you're not that's a stage version of you that's that's an extrovert that i made up that i'm not even really well i mean yeah. that i mean we can get really deep i mean it's because then what are you like i mean yeah. what are all of us like what is ego and what is the non-self and what is the masks that we wear and so on but yeah and that's definitely just my personal take on it is right. that like i think had i had a different run in uh, in life, I would have been a much more introverted person. But the fact that I had to get some kind of love and contact with Filling people that somewhere, hole or something, yeah, yeah, from someone, you know, like someone, I had to feel loved by someone. And once I got a little taste of it, like if I was the really young and I could like and I could preach, mm-hmm. oh wow, and you know, or um, or I'm super white and uh, like in a foster home and I could rap really well and write rhymes and oh shit that white kid is awesome and that little bit of attention Mm -hmm. like the way the fucking sociopath mind starts to do its thing you know like oh this is you know I could live inside this I could fake being this forever yeah yeah well it's also like when you were talking about religion was your drug 
that's very much a drug. That's very much like something you're trying to fill that hole with. I've heard it my whole life. We all it's been in, it's been uh, said to us. It's been sung to us. It's been written down in poetry. They say you can't love if you don't love yourself, and I used to scoff at that. I'm like it doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> like, it's one of those AA kind of yeah, sayings so that are stupid. so true. But it is. Yeah. You can't even listen to it. It's yeah. like, ah, I know. Breakfast is the most important <laughs> meal of the day. <laughs> exactly. Until yeah. it fucking comes home like, to you and you're like, oh my shit. God. Yeah, I'm loving yourself. Everyone around me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're right, man. It's like you try to fill that hole with whatever you can and you start filling it with pleasure instead of um, whatever the alternative that would mm-hmm. be, I guess, true happiness, you know what I mean? Like, true contentedness. Because pleasure is fleeting, and pleasure mm-hmm. is momentary, and you can get on a stage, or you can rap, or you can tell jokes, and or you can be charming. Of, like, yeah, you could just yeah. do a line of approval. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, then there's the come down, and you're like, well, it's still just me, and I still hate myself, I'm still and I'm still fucking horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sebastian Younger, in his book, uh, he talked with a lot of PTSD, PTSD sufferers, and and he he relates it a lot to uh, the way human groups evolved and the size of them and people's place in them, mm-hmm. and and uh, it, that book helped me a lot. What was it called? <sighs> it, What's uh, his name? I suck. I think it's Sebastian Younger. And Sebastian. I think it's Younger. called Tribe or something with the word tribe in it. Okay. I suck. Uh, I'm no I'm no Joe Rogan. I can't remember, but uh, he's he's a big fan. I heard about it from Joe I'll Rogan's look it up, podcast. and then I'll I'll link it. We'll give him yeah. a, a but he, plug. that book helped me a lot with uh, you know he he a lot of case studies about like like all the way down to the most severe stuff that freaks us out, like women who had suffered like very violent rapes, like in like in in like military settings, like horrifying things that like we think of as like debilitating a person forever, you know, emotionally. And he's looking at these rates in different uh, societies, and depending on the way those societies work and the size of them, and people manage to to recover. So the rate is so much more in these older, smaller groups, like eighty people, one hundred twenty people. Everybody has a role there. Like warriors coming back from war would recover from these kind of things better, and the kind of the rugged individualism mixed with like think consumer capitalist culture and this isolated like world we live in like with less people kind of contributes to people with my kind of background not ever getting better or feeling like that place there's like something missing there and that I was like man that really clicked like and I very much want to try to be a person who can build relationships and be in a tribe now you know like and a lot of that but I also don't want to subject people to like a total like bullshitter oh, but you know don't. so like I, I try to be more honest and upfront yeah. about like the flaws that I see now when I meet new people instead of just trying to make them like me I'll be I feel like a few friendships I have now they started with a total failure on my part and an absolute honesty about like about you know I'm sorry I'm such a dick yeah and those relationships are at least they're real you know like I'm not trying to be liked so much because I was fucking good at it and I didn't even realize what I was doing dude I'm gonna turn 40 next year you know and I'm just now starting to figure out what a shithead I've been in certain ways like to myself like I wasn't really getting myself what I needed right I was giving myself drugs like 
But it's 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 not, at least for your case, because there's all a lot of people I think who are shitheads and do that. <laughs> but in your case, it's 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 not that because you're identifying this behavior now and then actively changing it. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Or making the attempt. Like it's a hard thing to do, especially if it's so ingrained in us. There's a lot of people out there in the world who are aware how shitty they are and then just are not too concerned with changing. You yeah, know? always different measure, right? These yeah. disorders, like they manifest themselves in different ways. As far as the likability aspect, I relate really hard to that. I My uh, ex used to call me a friend whore. Because yeah. <laughs> it would really bother me if somebody didn't like me. And I would just find the mask that would please them the most. Yeah. Uh, as as a as a personal goal, like as a check mark for myself, like yep, I got them. They like me. Okay, I got them. And mm-hmm. I don't. Some people I hate. Some people they really persona, disgust right? me. Right, the mask persona. You would personify. Yeah. What scene they wanted. Yeah. You would personify yourself. You would maskify yourself. And what's worse though is like yeah. you hit. You said something very specific that really uh, kind of hit a chord with me. You said I was good at it. Yeah. And it made me feel good that I could that do That alone, this. that alone, like, I mean, to be good at anything makes you feel good. If you're good at anything, it feels good. To have a skill with people, whether or not you like them, whether or not it's good for you, to win somebody over is like, it becomes like a personal, like, hoop that you have to jump through. Yeah. And there's a sense of pride at the end of it, even though it's kind of tinged with shame. Yeah. Like, it's... No, I did that, and I have that power, and I can make you like me. Or to compulsively do it. That that was my thing. Like yeah. part of my compulsive disorder was this: uh, not ever deciding, not ever knowing that I was like doing that. Like, pretty honest person, as to the best of my knowledge. Mm-hmm. But I realized so much of it was just this compulsive habit, like biting your nails. Like, you didn't decide to bite your your nails. Your compulsions are running your life. Yeah. And it was like that with people for, like, I think definitely through my, like, late 20s and early 30s. Did you get to a point where you noticed that and then just tried to um, ride in the middle? Or did you just go the full, well, then fuck everybody? (laughs) Because I feel like that's a really easy thing to do. Nothing like that. I just, uh, at first I just dove into stand-up. Okay. Right, which is the ultimate fucking heroine of approval addiction <laughs> I did not know that what was this? what I was doing but it's funny how all the people with my kind of fuck up end up in the same three lint traps fucking no... stand up being an MC yeah the look at me look at me industry there's no band there's no crew there's no team it's just you and all of them and your job is not to say anything informative. Your job is not to, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like your, your job is not to be like intellectual. You just have to make them laugh. You just have to make them like you. Just make them like you. Just make we're, them like you. We're going to give you 100 bucks if you can make them like you for five minutes. We'll give you 500 bucks if they can make me like you for a half hour. We'll give you a grand if you can give it an hour of likability. <laughs> <laughs> just be, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. You could smash watermelons. <laughs> you could do whatever the fuck you care. want. Get out props. It's just you. Just be liked. And you could uh, you could verbally abuse women kind. You could you could, you could, you could <laughs> lip sync. You could lip sync songs. You could dance. Yeah, you could take horrible positions. You could be a, mm-hmm. a, a, on a political rampage. It doesn't matter. Just be liked for an hour. It could be one hour talking about getting cum out of your eyelashes. We don't care. And make the people like it. <laughs> and if you're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> 
care. They don't care, and you will be asked to come back, yeah. and they will ask for more, and it will be self-destructive, and you won't <laughs> know why, because you're doing your job. But then, you know, what the people I really admire in stand-up are the people that have, in that art form, like, found a great craft in it. That's wild. Because me, I didn't find great craft in it. I got pretty decent at it, mm. but I got as good as I needed to be to, like, get the approval. Like, I kicked the tree just hard enough for the coconut to fall down. And then he left the tree. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Until it stopped. There were no more coconuts. Which is... get better. It's probably, like, the healthier way out. I think a lot of people... I don't know about you. A lot yeah. of people ask all the time, are you going to do another show? Do people ask you that ever? Are you going to do another show? Yeah, all the time. And it's like, God, no. People want me to cancel Christmas again all the time. People don't they run like up and ask, yeah. like, are you going to... Are you gonna, Try some more blow this year. I know you've been clean for a while. But <laughs> are you to do a nice? I might go back up to a little it. bit more. I like the idea of maybe going back to it with knowledge of because all of it I was blind to mm -hmm. like the. I mean, aside from like, because what like okay back then when we would talk about that kind of thing, we're aware of this thing about comics and you know, but it's like it's talked about in this like trendy way the way people talk about like American writers alcoholism. Mm -hmm. There's this romance to it. And it's also just not really talking about the issue, but naming it and saying, yeah, I know about that. Right? Which is what we do. We name things so we don't actually have to look at what they are. Yeah. We nickname things all the time. Oh, I did the Christian thing. Yeah, I, we got to get away from talking like that <laughs> if we're ever going to be really serious about serious things. You know? yeah. And it's like, yeah, I know about that. Oh, yeah, comics are crazy. Oh, yeah, actresses are insane. Yeah, no, yeah. there's fucking shit going on here you need to look at. Because it's going to get you if you're not looking at it, saying you already know all about it. Well, I think and that's ones, the way I was back then. I, I think the people that do look at it are the people that are either um, bettering themselves, bettering their craft, or both. And then you have people who don't get over that and are really good at it, but don't figure out why they're messed up. And mm -hmm. don't figure out, don't make the separation that, like, this is not the answer. This is, like, something that I'm good at. People are still treating it like the drug instead of the craft. And yeah. those are the people who die. Those yeah, are the happens. comics that kill themselves and OD because they're still, they've been, I just read this book on Robin Williams. It was, it was actually by Dave Itzkoff. And it was actually pretty morbidly uplifting uh, at the end of it mm. because uh, he, um, you know, he died by hanging, but he had, like, a a very strange, very obscure medical condition in his brain that was causing, like, hallucinations. And they think that he was just not himself. They think it wasn't depression. It wasn't... He wasn't suicidal prior. Mm -hmm. You know, he's had suicidal ideations and thoughts and stuff, but it wasn't like this was a long uh, road leading to the end. He just was sick and was misdiagnosed and, like, mm. fell into it. But um, I, I bring that up because reading it, did kind of emphasize and highlight the separation of, yeah, he was treating this like a drug and he was using this to fill this gap and hole in his life. Um, and then you see the difference of him doing his thing when he was healthy and happy mm -hmm. and what a big difference it was doing the same thing every day and how just the way you approach it and just your state of mind um, gets a different result entirely. Yeah. So you have cats like Pat Patton Oswalt, you know what I mean, who are a master of their craft. And this dude has gone through some shit you know, in his personal life, like some horrendous, horrible things. Uh, and he still treats this craft as uh, as a job, as a means to an end. It's yeah. probably very therapeutic. And then you look at somebody like, um, I mean, this is obviously an older pool, but Belushi. 
mm-hmm. a dude who was just like after it for it was his fix you know what I mean and that's why they live fast and die young you know well like in what's interesting is Jim was a whole scene's wake up call and the what what sucks is that that because I know what it's like when there's a scene of people in a town doing art together and partying and doing lots of drugs I know it on my small scale from my little world. And I know the momentum behind that kind of scene. And that's what was going on in Hollywood with those guys. And uh, what sucks is that Jim didn't get a Jim to warn him. Jim was there with no training wheels, with everybody cheering him on. He didn't get a Jim cautionary tale. He ended up being that. And that fucking sucks. Who did John or Jim? Oh, John. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. John, John, I, I, yeah, I suck, I suck at that. But he was everybody. You, you always just hear his name as that. Oh my God! I, we realized, we realized what was ha- that was a whole chapter in that book was his yeah. death. Yeah. Um. And you know, sometimes someone ends up being that because that's the way we are. We just, we just react to uh. We react to whatever happened this week at the store. You know, you've worked at a place where they seem to change their policies every time a customer complains about one specific thing that one person did. All of a sudden, this is our new direction for this week. Like, that's what we're like as people. And so the cautionary, the the tragedy is what, like, moves us as a culture, which sucks. The, uh, the big horrifying tragedy, too. It's never like, oh, yeah, something, hap- something bad happened. He slapped his wife and got arrested. His, his career's ruined. Like... No, that won't do it, man. Fucking full-blown death and, and destruction <laughs> is all that will fucking change the tone of a, of a friend group like that that is so uh, influential. This is a bummer. Well, I mean, it's... Again, it's a... I mean, I don't, I don't recall how we got into this, but, but that whole world... Of, um, and the attention seeking and addiction and yeah, that relationship. It just kind of attracts people trying to fill a void. And I mean, that is just a wild card. You know what I mean? Uh, of I mean, you talk about a group of people coming mm-hmm. from all different walks of life, of all different points in the world, specifically Hollywood. You know, like everybody's coming to this Mecca. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, like a support group. If you're to go to support group, it's like we all know we're here for a common thing, but I don't know, a, I don't know a damn thing about your walk of life or where you came from. Like I know we mm-hmm. have this one thing in common, but if we band together and join, there's a high percentage that one of us is really gonna fuck up. <laughs> you yeah, know? like there's a really good chance. Like if you get a room full of people who all admit to having some serious problems, like yeah, if you spend enough time with these people, you're gonna see some shit, and it's gonna change you. Yeah, and then. And you get, like, somebody who's so talented that everybody looks up to like that. Mm-hmm. And they don't give a fuck yeah. about their about caring for themselves. And you start to have this, like, punk rock worship thing that happens in a group where it's like... It's false ideation. Yeah, like, know. well, there's nobody as dope as Chris Farley. Like, nobody has ever been as dope as Chris Farley. And he doesn't give a fuck about himself, about his, about his health, his life. Yeah. And he's one of the nicest people I've ever met, and he doesn't care. And then you, you know, like, all of a sudden, the slap in the face that, like, that tribal vibe you got around a charismatic figure mm. is total bullshit. 
it, that just happens to you like when a girl turns 13 and she starts getting fucking boy crazy and it's annoying. It doesn't make total sense. It's too it's too much. It's the same thing with idol worship. It's like a hormonal reaction. Like fucking, especially among young men with the, without a firm idea of what it means to be successful as a man. Dude, we are fucking boy crazy 12-year-old girls with that shit. Like yeah. we are not in control of our emotions. We will follow a fucking figure like like that, dude. It's crazy. That uh whatever that desire to be respected hormone is that's yeah. like going fucking crazy. Respected in the fucking tribe, you know. What, what branch on the tree am I going to get up to? You know, like I'm, yeah. I sit on that tree, that that branch because I'm strong enough to. Like, it's measured in a million different ways, but I think you're right. I think that everybody has that desire to be respected for whatever it is they do, and it's not always climbing the branch. Yeah, like yeah. you know what I mean. Like it, I might look at you know everybody around me uh, who I desire respect from, and not participate in whatever it is that they're doing. You know what I mean? But like I'm like. Appreciate me for my thing is like yeah. a, you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. like, is like a big like no matter what it may be uh, maybe appreciate isn't the right isn't the right word but yeah it's like um, it's more primal than that like that's yeah. too reasonable yeah like it's not reasonable it's like a fucking weird electric shock that's what I mean it doesn't when matter it gets what bumped you're doing. into I mean it doesn't matter what yeah you're, I could be on the streets right now you know mm-hmm. I, mean, I could be I could have a grocery cart and like a garbage bag that I'm sleeping on and I would still be mad that nobody didn't appreciate look at this nice blanket I made out of newspapers like fucking respect look that like I yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's true it's just automatic when something it is. bumps into that nerve and makes you feel small mm-hmm. it's fucking ape like yeah the reaction yeah and I don't like it but I got it I got a lot of it I got it all the way down in my fucking bones I got it in my penis <laughs> it's lodged in my dick hole it's all in my fucking nasal cavity I can't get it out so you've been all over uh, where would you like to go hmm like just some place to visit whatever that means to you uh, I want to visit I want to visit Oregon I've Oregon never, I've never been why Oregon because it seems rad, and I have so many friends that I haven't seen in forever. Okay. I moved there a long time ago. And so I would get to see them again, and they're so rooted. In, it's like, some of them are, it's over 15 years they've been there, like, and I haven't seen them. Be so, a reunion. Dude, and it's like, they can show me this place that they really know very well, too. So I think the next place I want to go is Portland. It's uh, a really doable or trip. Or Eugene. Friends in Eugene. It's not terribly far. Have you been? No, I might go this coming road trip though. Oh shit! I'm See, thinking about it. That sounds awesome. You should do it. Yeah, I gotta sell this boat. I'm feeling like I'm feeling weird. Uh, like I'm feeling weird about like my situation right now. I'm feeling antsy because Shelly's going through so much with her dad being sick, and we're being separated a lot right now. Right. And uh, I just it's I feel like I want to get something else going it's also probably worth mentioning we didn't bring it up but you live on a boat this isn't just yeah. a boat that you have True. Really. Yeah. <laughs> you're living on the boat so selling the boat would um, give For you four means years to now. right and that would give you means to get not only get somewhere. a place yeah. but um, have the ability to travel and not have so much maintenance and mm-hmm. stuff to worry about so that's just like that's not a big step to take for you to be able to do this trip man true 
And you had a nice boat. Somebody will buy it. Oh, hell yeah. I think that thing will sell quick. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, I hope you... Ma- well, I know you will. You're going to make it to Oregon. I'm sure there are other places. But for now, that's a good starting point for the list. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me, man. I love you. I love you. Oh, I got a pee now. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, Internet. That was David Northrup. I'm so grateful he was able to take the time to sit down with me. Be sure to look up the Argyle Pimps, his old band, too. I love them to death, and I promise you they are worth a listen. Also, please listen to next week's episode. I sit down with an old friend of mine, Kevin Jacks. I'll play a couple of minutes of what that sounded like, but once again, thanks so much for listening, and I do hope you come back next week. In my senior year, I transitioned from I transitioned from the more weaker role of a, you know, and I'm using air quotes so you can't see it in the recording, but <laughs> the bullet. No, I appreciate that. That's important. <laughs> but then I discovered the wonders of 4chan and how, you know, how to be... <laughs> the wonders of 4chan. Edgy and offensive and all these things. So when I, after summer break, I came back from my senior year, I really had something. I didn't know then, but it was the, a seedling of confidence. Walk me through that. How do you gain confidence through the wonders of fortune? Uh, <laughs> that's not like I'm not like that's not a loaded question. I'm not familiar enough with fortune to know what they offer besides uh, porn and racism. <laughs> like I know there's more there, but I don't. Well, you know, I don't really remember the porn part. Uh, oh, it's there. <laughs> I promise. But uh, yeah, just a lot of just a lot of. Just for no reason, and I think that was what's so wonderful about it. Someone would make, they would make an opinion, or they would make a point, or they would drop a fact, you know, mm-hmm. basically say or question anything. And you might have these pockets of people who wanted to open a discussion. But by and large, you just had the sea of individuals who were just like, you double N word, <laughs> six letter F word, right. S and D and LMFP. It's, it's inspiring to see inspired people. Yeah. Um, yeah, more, more people have any idea that they can just do stuff. They can just do stuff and just, like the skateboard thing. It's like, I was always fat, so I couldn't do anything physical. I couldn't wear whatever I wanted to. And now it's like, I'm looking back, and on the one hand, if I worried about what people thought of me, it's like, oh, well, he's, he's pushing 30 on a, on a skateboard. I mean, his kids... I don't think anybody would judge you for being 30 on a skateboard. <laughs> but regardless, it's like, there's stuff like that shouldn't hold you back. If you got two legs, you got to use them. Mm. Uh, I guess we keep going back to that thing about um, the equalizer. Maybe I, I can't make that. We'll cut that out, but because um, I can articulate it. But yeah, there's just there's not enough. What you're the sacrifice is not that big of a deal for the amount of reward. You know, flying down the street on a skateboard right. is something that I could possibly never experience if I don't try. And it's like, damn. You know, so seeing more people start companies and seeing more people uh, taking on, you know, people in court when they know they're going to lose to Aaron Brockovich thing, yeah. uh, it, it would really be nice to be around a bunch of people like that.